When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do it now. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for The Front Three with me, Adam Boltwood, the editing mastermind behind The Front Three on YouTube, Lawrence McKenna. Hi, Hayden. And the statistical genius that is Dave O'Brien. Hello, chaps. <laughs> and we make it sound like scintillating I was expecting stuff. more enthusiasm. I gave you such nice intros. I was expecting a lot of enthusiasm, but I didn't, I didn't quite get the energy I was looking for. Now people I'm sorry. Our faces. We, I'm uh, sorry, I'll accept Listen, don't listen to, uh, to Lawrence and Dave. We've got a very exciting episode of the Front Free coming up today. We've got FA Cup reaction, we've got news, we've got transfer talk, and most excitingly of all, we've got our talking point tonight about Ibar with author Ewan McTeer joining us to talk the little the league aside, taking on the big boys and pushing for European qualification. I'm excited, Lawrence. Are you excited? I love, I love Ewan's work. I think it's really good. That's um, better. Yeah, interesting conversation to come about Ibar. First up, though, got to say a big thank you to everyone who's checked us out on YouTube and subscribed. As promised, we launched over the weekend with a preview and a little tactical review. Liverpool nil, Manchester United won. Um, incredible support, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, amazing um, feedback. Re- yeah, really. Uh, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed filming it and making it, and I really just hope we can do more stuff on the channel. So, if you can, if you can do anyone a favor this week, it's to uh, tweet that you want everyone else to go and look at the channel and yes. subscribe to it because somehow we've you know, already hit was it 930 subscribers 900 yeah no, let's just say 900 for now yes and then we want to make a thousand it looks really good then, yeah. um so if you haven't subscribed in in the immortal words of arnold schwarzenegger do it now and let us go know you want to subscribe get to the subscribe button uh let us know what you want to see on there because in the end the channel is for the is for the whole itself you know we want to know what you guys want to see on there have some great feedback on the tactical analysis so we'll probably do another one this weekend for arsenal chelsea i think you know even though dave won't be here unfortunately he's off skiing in the alps but i I think we'll struggle by uh, without him also make sure you subscribe to the front view on itunes if you're feeling particularly nice you could go and rate and review us. All you have to do is search for Front Free on your podcast app and click on Write a Review. It is that easy. The legend that is Josh Barton wrote us a great review this week, so we've got to give him comment of the week. He was simply entitled Gary Goals. And he ends the review oh, by saying, go. I probably shouldn't listen the heart, in the gym. <laughs> he said, I probably shouldn't listen in the gym anymore after I burst out laughing when Dave started up with done deals and Gary Goals. I Gary like, Goals. I feel like we need to track down <laughs> Gary Goals. Like maybe that should be the next video on the channel. Love to play football with Gary Goals. Yeah, it'd be incredible. Well, I mean, yeah, down five aside for a kickabout. Anyway, the FA Cup re- uh, replays, Lawrence, are over and done with. Your team, Liverpool, somehow overcoming the mighty Exeter three 0 looked pretty impressive. Christian Benteke started, which might have been the biggest talking point of the game. Involved in two of the goals. What do you make of his inclusion in the team? Because beforehand we had Jurgen Klopp sort of talking about how Benteke still has a future at the club. He's the complete striker, all yeah. this sort of stuff. I mean, Benteke was in there before as well for the um, the last game. Not much changed, except the captain's armband got taken off and then it got given to Jose Enrique. Um, the interesting side of this was obviously that they wanted to see whether there was a change about the form and the shape of Liverpool. There looked to be a lot more intent from those guys. The, the pressing and the harrying of the nervous Exeter team worked. And, you know, what most people describe as the magic of the cup turned into 
the kind of aurora of the cup for, uh, at Anfield. Um, and, you know, the players were passing themselves into all sorts of trouble, giving Liverpool a lot of shape, um, get, like a lot of space to move into. And Liverpool just used their shape and Christian Benteke and Jordan Ibe um, sort of ran the game, really. And they, there wasn't, didn't seem to be enough challenge from Exeter. Uh, I think that's the disappointing thing is sometimes, you know, if you don't get it in the first round, then you, the replay just mm. doesn't really do many teams much justice, especially if they believe they're outplayed. And I think Jurgen Klopp played this one really well. Credit to him, because I think he did play it very well, the way they sure. managed it and handled it and handled expectation, etc. I'm sure Exeter would have loved to have gone to Anfield. Though. They would have enjoyed that occasion, even though you know it proved to be beyond them to, to go through. Yeah. Yeah, really good point, yeah. Um, although but, uh, they've never... they The last time that they got through the fourth round, Liverpool were top of every division. So sort of top wow. of all the divisions. Long time ago. Um, yeah, really is, <laughs> was, it, was it exciting really to see is. those young players though? I mean, uh, Ojo obviously scored, Teixeira scored. You know. Ojo, Ibe, uh, Teixeira is a fantastic player. He's so mm. unfortunate to break his leg come the end of last season because he'd really done well um, down south. And I, you know, I think everyone at Liverpool was looking forward to seeing more of him. When he broke his leg, a lot of people were upset about that. Um, but I think he looks like a really fantastic Liverpool player. One, wonderful, wonderful feat. Um, and I, I like the way that they all knit together. I think Liverpool, though, were very surprised tonight about how easily they got those three goals. And as much as you know, people are going to talk about magic of the cup, I actually think Liverpool were quite comfortable. Hmm. Uh, Spurs as well, going through, winning 2-0 in the end, pretty comfortable. Um, exciting to see maybe the, the second-tier sort of players sort of um, making a claim to maybe start matches with the likes of Heung-Min Son, who's got a fantastic opening goal. Had the, had the big man John Shin tweet me and say, hope he kicks on from here out, has the potential to do big things for Spurs. Is he really second tier or is he, was he sort of bought with this tier, sort he of hasn't plan been, in mind? Obviously, he hasn't been starting the games with Harry Kane starting pretty much every single game Spurs have played. But I think it's good to see players, the, the players who are sort of maybe not the first team automatic starters, pushing for a place in that first team. Like Tom Carroll, you know, who wouldn't necessarily start over Dembele or you know, a dire in that midfield too. I'll take your point. I'll the take likes your point. of um, Benteleb as well, coming back from injury, playing reasonably well. That's always a, a bonus. The likes of Ben Davies at left back, stepping in for Danny Rose. It's good to see those players cutting it essentially because I've been worried about the squad depth at Spurs. But when you see, admittedly, it was against the weaker Leicester side. But when you see that second string playing well, especially the, the finish from Hume Ming Song, um, it's, it's encouraging. Chadley as well. When, when, you, when you have a system overall that people can fit into yes. and they seem to understand that quite well, then it's obviously the great communication and expertise in the manager. I think both Klopp and Pochettino have sort of um, instilled that within the side. It's very easy to say that when things are going well. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when both managers are challenged. It's gonna, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. We'll have mm. to see. Who, who have Liverpool got in the next round now? Now they're free. Uh, is cool? That is a... That is quite a great question. question. That's a great question. <laughs> they're playing you, West Ham, Lawrence. Play, and I knew that. Me too. So I we'll edit to look that it in such a way that Spurs, it looks I was on top of it. Spurs travel to League One strugglers, Colchester United, which should be interesting. Um, so similar ties for both clubs there. Other replays of note. Eastley are out, um, which is a shame because they, they put in a really good performance against Bolton. Unlucky to draw that, that first game. Um, they've unfortunately gone out. Portsmouth pulled off a bit of an upset against Ipswich. Uh, Villa are through, uh, winning 2-0 against Wickham. Um, but Remy Gard singling out one player in particular, and that's Jack Grealish, Dave. Now, he's come under a, a little bit of criticism from, from Remy Gard since uh, the Frenchman moved to the club. He sort of burst onto the scene last year under, under Tactics Tim. But, um, has mean really Tiger Tim. Tiger Tim, sorry. I mean, he's got so many great nicknames. So he, hasn't really, Tim. he hasn't really <laughs> impressed Tim. this season, Dave. There's been a lot of question marks over Grealish's attitude. Um, what have you made of him when you've seen him and what do you make of these accusations of indiscipline? Well, firstly, he's a wonderful player. He's a really good ball player. When he dribbles with the ball, it's really nice to watch. He's just got that, you know, he's got a very silky touch. Uh, obviously played very, very well last season in the FA Cup run. Villa went on really nice interchange between him and Fabian Delph in their positions. But obviously with Villa's downfall, I've sort of seen Jack Grealish's downfall and his attitude absolutely stinks. You think there was a bit of a wake-up call when all the pictures emerged of him out in IB for whoever it was, completely out of his mind on the floor, mm. completely passed out. But it's just not helped. You know, the defeats this season, I can't I think there was one, the defeat against Everton. 
two hours later, he was out on the on the Raz in Manchester. It's just not good. You know, you're a young English player with bags and bags of talent, but your attitude is just completely wrong. Do you think he's... Who, you know, he's... Sorry, go on. I just think that he's got the wrong group of friends, maybe. You know, he's, he's, uh, his Dave, pals are the on. wrong guys. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't, don't know, know that. I mean, that, don't I don't know, know that, where then, you're getting your source from there. Maybe it's not Dave's my intuition of, the, of, of how he plays. You know, going out after you've just been hammered in a game against Everton, it doesn't seem like the right thing to do, right? You know, I wouldn't do that. I, I, you know, you'd be going home to bed really annoyed with yourself about it. You wouldn't be going to sinking 13 Jager bombs, would you? Because you're a Premier I mean, League I suppose, football. I suppose, though, the point would be everyone deals with things very differently, don't they? Mm. Um, you know, back in the day, I know, I know that there's now a professional standard and there's a professional expectation, but I also think... Uh, and I, you know, I agree that you have responsibility, especially with the amount of money you earn and those kind of things. But definitely, when it comes down to players, if you look at back in the day, Socrates and other, but there were other people who were. Of course, were yeah, of, but nowadays, there were players that's who would not... smoke a cigarette and go out on the pitch, you know? You can't, you can't, you can't do that now. Like, this is why England lose. This is why England lose because their young players don't have any respect for themselves and their teammates. That's the biggest thing for me. Imagine if you know we were in a team, us three, we were the front three, and uh, we just lost in a massive game. And then, oh. say for example, Loz, you went out on the lash. Yeah, I'd be absolutely fuming with you. Really? How are you doing, bro? No, you wouldn't, Dave. You'd be drunk on the side because I didn't got Dave coming out. Yeah, yeah. Lawrence, you not, <laughs> you not think? Are you, are you not seeing this as as harshly as other people are? Then this sort of lack of professionalism from from Grealish. I think the way that I'm seeing it is that there's. Uh, I see a contrast to side. I see what you're saying. What Greeley shows is he owes something to the fans. What I don't, yeah. I, I agree uh, that you know about the degree of professionalism, but I don't agree that we always talk about it about professionalism. You you owe the fans who are paying your wages week in week out, essentially, and the people who pay to come and see you play football and enable you in the rest of your life, mm. um, because you know that that's the way that the system works. I, what I don't like is the corporatism of it, which is kind of he has a, a working responsibility to uh, do this for the club and do this. And it, I, for me, it just seems a little bit more... Not? Do they not pay for all of his training? I don't, I don't think this, that's the... I, I, I do, but I think everyone exists within that. And I think that when when you have such an exorbitant culture and you tell these people that they're the best thing, thing since sliced bread and you treat them that's in the such issue, a way, education. and then you don't educate them enough or mm. you don't help that's... mock their mind in such a way or you don't sort of guide them... I've then don't be surprised when this happens. I think this is my bigger point. And I think the, my bigger point is this is why England are struggling because players aren't taught the right way in their academies in terms of, of, of respect. Respect is such a big thing. You know, we don't... It's interesting. Okay, we don't, we're not in the German media all the time, but there's no massive stories of, of German young players going out on the Raz and, and pictures of them and so forth. We don't know, obviously, because we're taken away from that situation. But I just feel that it's the culture in England is, is different and it needs to change. It really does need to change. That- if we want to... Excel as a country in the next, like, you know, work a few World Cups with a few Euros. There's got to be a big change. There's got to be education brought in. These players have got to understand their responsibilities to the fans, to the manager, and to the teammates. So I think I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the, the club has a certain responsibility and maybe the atmosphere and the, the institutions are maybe not best set up to, to care for these players. People who, you know, join football clubs at 14, 15, 16, and maybe education isn't the priority. Obviously, not all these players make it. In fact, a, a very small minority will make it to the top level. And they're sort of, you know, left cut adrift almost in terms of they don't have that education, whether they do or don't make it, to help them to cope. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so- socially, it's an unusual experience, I'd imagine. You know, I mean, you have everything managed for you. You have your diet, you have what you wear, you have all these kind of things. Mm manage and you're surrounded by people who tell you certain things and i think, think you know to some extent that's um at the moment i don't know how well some people are guided but does he not think that excuses grealish's behavior wrongly though that he should i don't i don't I don't, for... I don't think it excuses what i'm saying is if we just say at better boy do it i mean to some extent if you said that to everyone and i think some people do then it would work mm. practically very often it doesn't play out like that and there's and the problem is that when something terrible happens, it plays out in the media and people go, ooh, responsibility, it's all his fault. And they don't look at the systems and the structures which let the youth down or let the person down who's maybe not educated or aware in that way. He's still very young. And mm. I think, you know, there's a lot of people, maybe he does need someone at the club who's going to guide him in a certain way. This brings us on nicely to something that Jurgen Klopp said this week. So he sort of made potentially a little dig at Jerome Sinclair. He was basically saying that young players need to know it's not important to get the highest wages in the first year of your career. He was sort of warning against moving clubs at an early age. Um, 
Sinclair's one of a number of players in Liverpool. We've got the likes of Jordan Rossiter, Teixeira, um, even John Flanagan, who, you know, injuries obviously disrupted his, his career lately. But he has sort of warned against that sort of mentality that young players seem to have, that maybe they feel like they've achieved it all. If they, if they make one start in the first team, they feel like they've made it. I do think it's... I, I think it would be unusual for Jurgen Klopp to take a stab at Sinclair because we know how poorly it played out for Brendan Rodgers last time when he was taking shots, allegedly. I do think that's the media in certain camps trying to play things up. Mm. Um, I, although well, it does seem very clear maybe that not... Sinclair has almost, has almost signalled his intent that he doesn't want to be at Liverpool because of getting A.D. Ward as his manager. As his, uh, as his <laughs> manager. I mean, <laughs> it's never a good sign if the, the, you know, the guy who screwed uh, the club over uh, to some extent. If, if he's not aiming at Sinclair specifically, then he's certainly maybe been sparked it, by that because he, he's talking about the young I players in general to choose right, development well, over money. But it, it, to be fair, it was said in a press conference. I understand you can bite your tongue maybe, but at the same time, it's not as if he's not right. Uh, you know, I think right. there's a lot of truth in what he says. Mm. Uh, and so, okay. you know, that it, it, I think it plays out such that then the media take that and sort so of go, said, well... The, the, if you take your, your economic value, right, and you actually look at this in, in a statistical way, you look at your expected earnings over your career versus the expected earnings of your, your first career. Maybe this guy takes a jump up in his salary in the first year, but in the long term, if, if, he's, you know, if he's developed himself at this club, he's going to be earning more money in the long term. And I feel that young players aren't given that. Maybe they're given that knowledge, but they maybe yeah. see just to see the dollar signs. But there's someone there that's got to take responsibility for the players. It's kind of similar to Jack Grealish, where we're letting him down. Maybe we're letting down these young players as well because we are, you know, feeding them with, oh, you look, you know, like AD Boyd, oh, we're going to get you X amount of pound per year. That's going to be amazing. You're going to get a new car. But like Klopp is alluded at, the best this... thing for these players is to develop themselves, right? It's to play football. I do also think, though, that he, he realizes where he's coming from. And where he's coming from is that, you know, in a, in a few previous weeks, he was sort of saying, as a club, we need to show players why they want to stay at Liverpool. Mm, and I think the point, point is, he's not making that point in isolation. He's been making this point for quite some time. And I think he made it at Dortmund as well. You need to show players the value of staying at a club and the overall social value, like we, you know, like we come on to speak about in a little while with uh, Ewan, about, uh, you know, what social capital is mm. and how much capital, social capital Liverpool have uh, and other clubs have. And maybe it would make it a, a bit of a fairer or sort of more nuanced uh, negotiation process. The, the, the actual quote is really interesting. So he sort of said, um, as a club, you cannot make young players happy. That is not possible. It is not the club's first job. Like in normal life, it is not easy to be happy and not everyone can help you. But what we try is to create a situation where younger players know it is not important to get the highest wages in your life in the first year of your career. It is more important to get the real education. And that is what we want to try. For this, you always need a lot of things. He then goes on to talk about Jerome Sinclair specifically and sort of says, you know, if he wants to stay with us, no problem. If not, you know, we, we can't force things. So he's but, not taking a shot at him in that sense. Well, he says, I like Jerome. He's Black a real talent. Andrew. And if he wants to stay with us, no problem. Absolutely no problem. If not, we cannot force it. I'm fine with the situation. But first of all, you need to get young players who want to learn, is what he says. Yeah, so, so I, I don't think he's saying Jerome doesn't want to learn. I think what he's saying is, uh, you know, it, 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 I think he's acknowledging Liverpool are in a difficult position mm. here. It's, it's uh, an interesting situation with young players, Dave. And we, we hear a lot in England about how these younger players, specifically English players, we feel like they're not given a chance. And we had Sir Trevor Brooking come out today, the England legend, and he sort of slammed the likes of Manchester United, Manchester City, for not giving the, the younger players a chance. And he specifically mentioned Ruben Loftus-Cheek not getting enough first-team opportunities, and that sort of stunted his growth. I mean, I assume you agree with that. Oh, 100%. I think Trevor Brooking's right, but I think that there's bigger issues around the rest of the development system. Yeah, we can look at the top and say, yeah, these big players aren't getting enough games but then if we break down we break it down to maybe championship level and premier league level then league one league two and we look at the percentage of players that have been brought through at certain clubs i think that's our bigger issue right that the the actual ecosystem to produce these players is the issue not the ones you know standout players that aren't making it mm. you know we can we can talk all day about patrick roberts and you know maybe james wilson maybe uh, will Keane, or Loftus Cheek, any of these big English players at big clubs not getting the opportunity, yes. But then the rest of the ecosystem as well is, is sort of failing some of these young players. And I feel again it's a it's a bigger picture. We're attacking a smaller problem, but ultimately we've got a bit of a job on our hands to sort of sort things out in, in developing players in this country. Do you think we should take some encouragement from perhaps that the, there has been a recognition of a problem? Because you look at the likes of Spurs, 
who are starting to bring through academy players, you know, has been seen mm. as a real success story. You see the likes of Manchester City who have put a massive amount of investment into their academy, which maybe we're not seeing the results of yet, but will hopefully come to fruition in a few years. And even Manchester United, you know, we've seen in the last week how they're potentially trying to poach um, Tottenham's head of development. <laughs> At least there's an acknowledgement that there's a problem. Again, how, how does that get leaked out in the press that United are poaching the head of? It's ridiculous. You should be keeping all it's this like complete secret. You got to sign a. You got to sign a. Oh, what's the word? NDA. The word. NDA. You got to sign an NDA when we speak to you, pal. No, but it is. It's uh, Tottenham is a great example of um, you know a club that is actually working on their young players. That's trying to get them into their first team, and they're seeing the positives of it. And it's mm. it's great to see. You know, think of Germany in two thousand and what was two thousand and one, where England beat them five one. They completely changed their system from there and now that we're seeing the fruits in the Champions League and the national side and so forth. Mm. So it's one of those things where we need to make a big change. We need to follow this change and we need to go with the change and stick with it. We can't make a change and then, you know, we can't go down the line, okay, everyone's going to play the Spanish style of football and two years later, oh, everyone's going to play the German style of football. Oh, then everyone's going to play maybe the Belgium style of football if they do well at the Euros. Mm. You know what I mean? It's got to be, yeah, we've, got to, we've got to create something. Yes. We've got to players that technically are good at football I think that's the key thing you've got to create play it doesn't matter what style of football you play if you create a technically gifted player mm. if you play a, create a player that can pass the football it's got a very good touch got a good awareness that's, that's got a good understanding of the game tactically that's what we want to do I feel that we don't want to go down the line of following Spain I feel like the German model of being uh, tactically aware where you can play short passing football you can play counter-attacking football you can play mm. game you've got all this um, sort of this variation I feel that's the way to go in my opinion but that's I think my to, opinion. to some extent though I think what Dave has just said is is right and but also I think a lot of people in football almost want it they come from the perspective they want it all and there's a lot of managers with very specific ideas about football and people have a you know they speak about philosophy philosophy is like an all-encompassing idea you know it, it means you have to cover a lot of different bases and I think we talk about it in a very sort of pithy throwaway way because the Premier League's packaged up in such a way and, you know, so are so many leagues around the world now as they try to work their way more into our lives. I think that will affect the game as it goes on, as it becomes more of a product. Um, it sort of takes away from um, some, of the, some of the less products or the more human sides of the game. Um, so I, I think we've got to see some sort of balance. I think some managers are very good at striking that and some clubs are very good at striking that. And you see the imbalance at clubs like uh, you know, Manchester United and Chelsea right now where you know, I'm not saying that as a dig at those people. I, it lets the fans down because yeah. they, they, don't, they don't get what they want to see. And they get a fake, you know, or a fake kind of enjoyment, which was you know, like the other weekend where uh, Liverpool beaten 1-0 by Manchester United away from home, and it was the one shot that went on target. And yet, instead of so many of the fan channels, instead of going out there and saying, well, you know, actually we played really poorly or, you know, I don't think we deserved it and actually what would have been good for the club was a, a bit of a wake-up call and Liverpool doing something significant beating them. Instead, they turned their back on it and went, no, it's just important to beat the Scousers. And you're like... It's well, a bigger picture, isn't it, right? There's a, it's a bigger picture bigger of where picture. you're going. And Let's... philosophy... I think that's the best thing you you know the best thing you've got from that is the philosophy of certain clubs is going somewhere. Swansea, Southampton is going somewhere. We can see they're moving forward. Man City, it's going somewhere. They've got an idea of how they want to play. And then you've got Manchester United, Chelsea. It's so <laughs> disjoint between their academy and, and the first team. It's ridiculous. Speaking of Manchester United Day, let's get into a little bit of transfer news and, and tilt out before we move on to the talking transfer point. news. Louis Van Gaal, Gary Goals. Louis van Gaal, Dave, the Sun are reporting he's considering walking out on Manchester United this summer, a year before his contract expires. Would you be happy with that? Sorry, guys. I just, I, I can't, um, we, we shouldn't be covering the Sun on this show. The Mirror. The Mirror. The Mirror says, uh, the Mirror says he'll walk out this summer, Dave. Uh, fuck the Sun. <laughs> there okay. you go. Sorry, I'll never mention I, the Sun. I agree. Ever Sorry, again. guys, just saying, just saying. If, if, we were, if we're all fans, and I think we are all fans, then we should all be standing together because they screwed a load of fans over. And just because they did it once doesn't mean they won't do it again. And they didn't apologize for it in time. And uh, all fans should stand together. I have no problem with people working with certain companies and making their money, but fuck the sun. A nameless paper, Dave, has reported that Louis van Gaal could leave a year early. What do you uh, mean? Again, it depends on what, the, what Manchester United want to do as a club, whether they want to get Pep Guardiola. That'd be great if they have no plan. That's not a good thing. <laughs> if we're cutting in the, into their plan too early, then we've got a bit of an issue there, right? But we continually see this style of football that makes you fall asleep and the yeah. results that come don't come. 
it's time for the special <laughs> one. That's all I say. Um, <laughs> special one. That's the only thing. If they, Pep goes to City, the only thing Man United can do as an introduction is get Mourinho. That is it. Mourinho. Um, <laughs> Let the fun begin. <laughs> Lawrence, Liverpool have been told they can sign Marc-Andre to Sturgeon for £23 million. Pounds. Do you really need him seeing as Mignolet decides a brand new spanking deal? I think that the two, you know, one probably ends the other saga, right? Because mm. I like Kristen said on the YouTube channel, you, you will not pay a goalkeeper as much as you pay Simon Mignolet yeah. if you want him to be the second goalkeeper. Well, what, what did Although, you make of him signing the new contract? Because Jamie Carragher went in on Sky Sports on the weekend. He was not happy Yeah, I mean, um, off the new contract. Uh, to be fair, he, he does have the stature, the build of a goalkeeper. Um, there's some as- there's a lot of aspects of his game which need improvement, mm. um, including command of the box and um, also in- including uh, working on set pieces and moving other players around. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think Liverpool would have you know uh, put him on another contract unless this contract comes with a buyout clause. Mm. It's a it's a strange one because he's made a couple of blunders this season. The fans have sort of been getting on his back for Klopp to show that show of faith in him is. Unexpected, I'd have said. Yeah, and unless of course there's a, a lower um, something we're not seeing clause mm. in his contract, or if say he is dropped down to um, you know the reserve goalkeeper, maybe he takes less wages mm. or something like that. I know he signed a new five year deal, and Klopp called him the full package. But, um... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Or, or the, a, a great package or something like that. I don't know. Simon, the full package. Mean, like, I don't right. know what that means. Um, Dave, let me talk to you about Alexandra Pato. This rumour, I didn't quite buy it first, but it's really picking up speed now. It's in The Guardian, so right. you know it's true. Chelsea have stepped up talks with Corinthians. £10 million. Pounds. It looks they like this one's going to happen. They like won't end happen. up paying £10 million. They It might be a loan pay. deal, is what they're saying. It, it might be a loan be, deal. Yeah. They'll just want, they want to get him out of the club. They want him off the books. But why did Chelsea mm. want him on their books, Dave? This is what I can't understand. I think, I think they lack a, a backup striker, right? You know, Lot Remy's been in and out. It looks like Lot Remy's potentially off as well. There's been offers for him in, in, the, in the window. Uh, Pato could, uh, could be an interesting one. He's obviously been on loan. Pato, sorry, he's been, he's been on loan for the last two years at San mm. Paulo from Corinthians. And obviously he had that, that offer from China. Could have gone. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's, he's not 26. the world, worst player in the world. Only 26. If we go back to the great Pato days of the goal he scored against uh, Barcelona, that was a banger. But you look at his goal record in Brazil, it's 19 goals in the last two seasons in around 59 games. Um, rocked up just under 10 assists in that period. So he, he still could do he's, a job for Chelsea this season. He, the, the Guardian is sort of saying he's um, not a last resort, but they're essentially saying that <laughs> <laughs> the loan move could suit them because but... they've made little progress in their pursuit of uh, Alex Teixeira from Shakhtar Donetsk and even Leicester's Jamie Vardy. So the Brazilian mm-hmm. is, is perhaps an option worth pursuing, is what they're saying. Well, if they can turn him into Gary Goals, it's absolutely fine. You're right, Alexander Goals. <laughs> oh, um, he's like he's an option which will become a lot cheaper. Ten million is still a lot. I think his agent's saying it's ten million. It could be as low as five. A few done deals then to just wrap up this this transfer talk. Costel Pantilamon has joined Watford after losing the number one spot at Sunderland to Jordan Pickford. Stephen Naismith has left Everton to join Norwich for eight million pounds, Lawrence, which seems a steep price. Done deal. Done deal. I think it's this. I think it's the uh, Scottish factor. It seems steep um, considering this weekend we saw Charlie Austin move to Southampton for four million pounds. Yes, but then he moved to uh, there because uh, there's a possible sort of 
a fitness issue there with him. Naismith is a great player. I think he was just looking for more first-team football. Mm. And I think the right, the right offer came in. What do you um, make of the, the Charlie Austin deal, Dave? Because I thought I saw that and I thought that's the contract was apparently expiring in six months' time. So playing four million for a player that his contract's going to be up at the end of the season again. A bit of a gamble given his, his knee problem that everyone knows about. Um in terms of the Naismith deal, I think that's a bit crazy. Eight and a half million for Naismith, but we've seen crazy <laughs> deals, you know, Shane Long going for twelve million. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a very crazy market at the moment. Right, there you have it. That was the FA Cup reaction, the news, the transfer talk. It is time now for this week's Talking Point. And today we're doing something a little bit different. Our guest is Ewan McTeer, author of I Bar the Brave, The Extraordinary Rise of the Liga's Smallest okay. Team. Ewan, welcome to the front three. Hi, thanks for having me along. Uh, so for those of you... Well, for those of the audience who aren't familiar with the club or their sort of fantastic story, could you give us a little background? I mean, this is a team who just over two years ago were playing in Spain's second division B, were technically relegated from the Liga just seven months ago. And yet somehow they're now six in the Liga ahead of the likes of uh, Sevilla, Valencia and Bilbao. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite some some journey for the team. So they were in the Segunda B in Spain, which is the, the third tier, uh, made up of 80 teams. And they won promotion to the, the second division, which was, was not too uh, shocking for, for this team. They've been in the second division many years and they've fallen away somewhat. But then their goal for that season was to stay in the second division. And they failed with that goal, not because they got relegated, but because they got promoted again up to the Liga. And as you say, last season was the first season in the league, but um, they got relegated on the last day of the season. Um, but Elche's financial woes meant that they actually got a, a revive and they were back in the league for this season and they've, well, they've certainly made the most of, of the chance because they're, they're now sixth place and we're on the Europa League spots. And it, it, the, the fact they are in sixth place is incredible considering the, the size of the club. Yeah, I mean, it's the smallest team to ever featured in, in La Liga and even when they were in the second division, it was also the smallest team. And to give it a compare with the club it would be about the same size as Brentford in terms of the population and <laughs> um, but their stadium's even smaller I mean the stadium's smaller than uh, the stadium of Fleetwood Town so imagine Fleetwood Town being in the sixth place in the Premier League and you start to get an idea of just how, how small this club is and um, yeah I mean the stadium's absolutely tiny it's tucked in the the Bass Mountains so a lot of Spanish teams have moved away from their, their stadiums over the years and built out of town sites but there is no out of town site for this club because out of town is at the top of a hill. So they've stuck with their, their old stadium and uh, yeah, it's about 70 years old, but it's still it's still cool every week, even more so now. And what's fantastic about the club as well is they're actually fan-owned as well. There's more than 10,000 shareholders around the world. Yeah, well, they weren't fan-owned until the year that they got promotion. So when they won the promotion to the league, there's a rule in Spain where teams have to have uh, 25% in social capital of all the teams minus the uh, richest two and the poorest two. So that meant that Aper fell short and they needed to raise uh, 1.7 million euros, uh, which they quite simply didn't have. It wasn't that they were in debt, they were one of the few Spanish teams not to be in any debt at all. Um, it was just that they were too small financially to, to feature in the league. And the kind of thing for them was that if they didn't raise this money, not only would they not get promoted to La Liga, but they would get relegated back down to the Segunda B. Um, so in order to raise the money, they started a, a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, the fans, the Ivor fans, they got on Twitter, they started sharing it around. They got the support of some journalists like Sid Lowe, Kim Balladay, they were sharing it as well. There was articles in the New York Times, Washington Post, and through it all, they managed to raise well over the 1.7 million and they've got 10,000 shareholders now. And I think it's 50 something countries uh, across the world. So they've got fans in, uh, in Australia, uh, USA, even places like um, Liberia has a shareholder of Ibar, so it's uh, all around the world. What's, uh, what do you think is sort of responsible for the success this season then? To be in sixth place, is it the coaches, is it the players? What, why are they so high in the Liga? It's hard to say because last season they had a fantastic first half as well and they got 27 points from the first half of the season before falling away a little bit. Um, which we don't know if that's going to happen again this season. Um, it was described to me that Ibar's quite spursy. They start off very well and then fall away. <laughs> Mentality uh, issues, eh? Mentality is the problem, yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll, we've yet to see if that will happen again this season, but they do look 
uh, even better this year. But the thing is, uh, bar two starters, every, the whole team's completely different this year. The manager's different. They've right. got 14 new players in the summer. So you can't say that it's the a, a good crop of players. You can't say that it's a fantastic manager because that's all changed from last year to this year and they're still doing it. So it's obviously something to do with the structure of the club. I think the fans contribute quite a lot to, to that. And we've got one of the best uh, sporting directors around Fran, uh, Gava Garza. He seems to find all these gems on loan deals and free transfers and they all turn out, uh, well, most of them anyway, turn out to be very good players. Do you think it's going to be different this year then? Because like you say, they did finish uh, 18th at the end of last season. They were in a similar position at this point last year. What What is different then? That Does it give you hope that they're going to finish higher, that they can avoid relegation again? Well, when you look at the results that they've put together this year, they've got just a little bit more points. They've got uh, six more points than they did at this stage last season um, after playing one more game in the, the second round. But... They've not been, the games that they've lost, they haven't been thrashed this year. And the games that they've won, they've put together some, um, well, they've absolutely destroyed some teams themselves. On Monday night, they beat Granada 5-1. Yeah. So it's quite, there's an interesting stat that every single game they've played this season, the corresponding fixture last season, they get to have a worse result. Um, wow. So every, every game they drew last season, they've gone on to win this season. Every game they lost last season, they've got a draw this season. Right. So it looks like the second half of the season is actually going to be slightly easier for them. So you would imagine that they're not going to fall away. And if they do, um, this, this sort of experience of last season will maybe help them to, to realise that you can fall from European places to relegation battle very quickly. What's the aim of the club? Like, Where, where are they looking to be, you know, say in five years' time? Is, and is there even a plan like that in place uh, in the same way that, you know, obviously the huge clubs in La Liga have? Mm. Yeah, they don't have a, an official five-year plan, but what, what their aim is, is to be a second division club. So the president has, has spoken, he says that Ibar's natural place is in the third division. So if they're aspiring to be better than their natural place, they're aspiring to be a second division club. And everyone at, at the club knows that to be a first division team, they're not going to be a first division team forever. Last year, there was sort of a mentality of, well, we're in it for one season, let's enjoy it. And then when we come back to the second division, let's be stronger. Um, but the fact that they did so well and stayed up and are doing so well this season, there's a lot of people at the club that are now sort of aspiring for more. Um, it sort of reminds me a bit of Leicester and Ranieri saying no objective is to avoid relegation and, and that's it. And it's sort of a similar thing for Ibar. They've been doing so well, but their main objective this season is just to stay in the division. And in five years' time, they probably will be relegated. Within that time, they're such a small club. They don't have the money to keep their, their best players, but I think their, their plan is that when they finally do get relegated, they'd love to be in a strong position to be one of the, the top teams in the second division. And obviously you were writing the book. or can I call, it is, I, I call it a book. We got sent a PDF, but uh, the, the book. Yeah. Um, what do you like? What was the most interesting part of writing it for you? Why, why did you take a specific interest in this? Well, I took an interest at the start because the fact that a team had the chance to get promoted, which might be denied to them by financial rules, was, was very interesting to me. Um, but once I got involved, the most interesting thing was the fans. Um, so when I've been over to Ibar, I've spent a lot of time with their, uh, one of their ultra groups. They're not ultra in the sense of the, the violent type. Um, in fact, they're probably one of the most uh, peaceful groups you'd meet. Um, and their name is Escocia La Brava, which is the Basque for Scotland the Brave. They've got this long-standing connection with Scottish Makes sense. Uh, people, which, as you can tell from my accent, uh, that you know, <laughs> appealed to me a little bit. Um, so their fans are fantastic, and you sort of see the work that they put in. They go to every single game. Um, in the last 80 games, I think there's only five games that the fan group has missed, and that's not because they uh, could be bothered. It's they've taken a stand against uh, certain clubs or certain restrictions in away fans. Um, so they go to almost every single game. And, yeah. I was just interested in what you sort of learned about La Liga in that time and like the structure. And I thought it was really interesting that he said our natural position is obviously in the second division because it almost mm. implies that clubs, you know, shouldn't be able to grow beyond a certain point and those kind of things. Do you think it is restrictive what the way that the league's structured? Well, one of the most interesting things was to take a look at the at the Spanish league from a view that isn't Barcelona or Real Madrid centred, yeah. to look at the, the sort of smaller clubs in the league and the way that those clubs operate and the kind of business they have to do, the sort of having to deal with their players being taken away every transfer window, having to get players in on loan, 
struggle with not very much money at all. I mean, La Liga, the money they make compared to the, the Premier League is, is absolutely nothing. Barcelona and Real Madrid can obviously overcome that, but anybody, they had to sell their best player this time last year to Derby County in the Championship because they had more money than they did. And that's not unique to Eibar. Eibar was the smallest club financially, but researching the book, you could see the other clubs that they were competing with at the bottom half of the league, they have the same issues of trying to compete with not the Premier League clubs, but the Championship clubs that have more money than them. Do you feel a bit worried that, you know, you've got a star this season, maybe Bohan uh, Baston, obviously 12 goals in the league of this season. Do you feel that he potentially might go to someone like Derby County? Obviously, they've got Karanka there, who um, probably, you know, a keen watcher of La Liga. Are you worried that he might sort of follow the, you know, jump in the exit door? Well, Baston's actually on, on loan from Alexi on loan? So I think last, and he's, he was at Real Zaragoza in the second division last year and he scored 22 goals. He's got 12 already this season. I've got no doubt that next year Atletico will recall him and, and use him. But it's a good it's a, it's a good point you make. There are players that are contracted to Ivar. Keiko's one of them. He's been a standout player this, yeah. this season on the right wing. And they're receiving bids at the moment from, I think, Sevilla and Malaga and also some championship clubs uh, about the region of 10 million euros, which for them is massive. I mean, they haven't funded the club for about three years. Um, but... They don't really want to lose their players, but at the end of the day, they don't. They don't really have a choice. There's one of the defenders as well, uh, Pantic, who's um, been looked at by Celtic, and uh, no disrespect to Celtic, but they're not exactly got that much money themselves either at the moment. So to see one of your best players go to the Scottish League would again sort of highlight just how, how little money those teams that from watching Ibar, obviously, and other teams, I don't. Did you did you take an interest in La Liga before you were sort of interested in Ibar, or was it the Scottish connection that sort of got you there? Well, I lived in Spain. I lived in Barcelona for a year, so I, I got to go and see some some football at the camp there, and that was that was uh, well something something completely different. But um, I never really followed any of the kind of smaller teams in La Liga. You know. It was that kind of mentality of it's La Liga. You look for who Real Madrid's playing, who Barcelona's playing, maybe Atletico, and you almost ignore all the other games. So by researching the book, you started taking an interest in you know Granada against Almeria because that was important to Eibar's relegation battle. And you see that some of these games are are even better than the ones at the top half of the table. In what way? <laughs> well, in the way that they're a lot more competitive. You go to see Barcelona and sometimes it's kind of like going to the theatre. You know, you sit back and you expect to see a fantastic performance, expect to see a win. Only one or two times in the season will you go to Barcelona game and not know if they're going to come out the victor. And as much as that can be enjoyable to see a six-goal win like it was last last weekend, it's also a little bit uh, predictable. And I don't know, I think football is a lot more interesting when you have no idea what's going to happen uh, in the last five minutes. So tactically, have you sort of found it interesting as well? Because obviously... A lot of people sort of say, well, you know, it's Barcelona, Atletico and uh, Real Madrid against everyone else in the league. And, you know, other people have almost, I, I think at one point I said, well, it's like, you know, guys just playing pig farmers for everyone else. Yeah. How how sort of true is that? And how often does that play out? Because obviously you're saying it's more competitive. Yeah, I think it is a lot more uh, competitive. You've got these, I mean, there are two leagues. You've got the, the top few teams and then everyone else is competing. And you see it this year. In the sort of you know middle middle of the table teams, you've got teams like Villarreal, Celta Vigo, Deportivo, that last season were a lot further down the league, and this year they're competing in that four spot. Teams like Valencia and Sevilla that were fantastic last year, falling away somewhat. So I mean, there is a really interesting uh, league to be had if you can sort of just remove the top three teams. Obviously, that that would never happen, but um, That'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it would be a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, because you have no idea who's going to win the league each year below the top three. Um, mm. And what, what I found quite interesting was the way that smaller teams approach their games against uh, the big teams. So Granada, for example, last season, they played Real Madrid at the Bernabeu three days before a really important match against Celta Vigo at home. And they put out their B team. They got beat, I think it was 9-2 or something like that, something ridiculous. And they got beat, but it was a B team that was out. They put their A team out the... Uh, the midweek and they got a draw that eventually saved them from, from relegation and some other teams like Eibar for example had that same run of fixtures they had an away game at Real Madrid followed by a home game at Celta Vigo they put out their first team at both games they lost I think it was 3-0 in Madrid and then 1-0 against Vigo overall the goal difference from those two games is far better than Granada's but it's sort of a, that attitude of 
looking at what games are winnable and trying to win those, which only feeds into that cycle of Barcelona and Real Madrid have it too easy, not just because of the best, but also because sometimes they end up playing against the B teams because teams just realise there's no point in trying. The, the interesting thing about the Liga is obviously the, the TV money, because I mean, we're talking about Leicester, I think it was a comparison you made and Lawrence mentioned earlier, but obviously in the Premier League, the, the TV money is split equally. I think next season, every single Premier League team is going to get £80 million, maybe. And the same things might change in the Liga, but is it not more incredible uh, the, the achievements Ibar are, are sort of going for right now? Because in the last round trip, I'm going to get, I think it's 140 million euros each they get, whereas the likes of Ibar might get 10, 12, something like that. So that, that shows why the league is so, you know, the balance is all off. But that just shows why Ibar's achievements are so incredible. Yeah, I think, I think that's dead right. I mean, that's working at the moment uh, in the Liga to bring in a sort of more evenly split yeah. uh, division of the TV money because the way it was was teams could uh, set up their own TV deals, they'd negotiated their own deals and it's very hard for the smaller teams to negotiate a deal because no one really wants to watch their their games. So Barcelona and Real Madrid can get the best TV deals and also some of the the teams from from cities where there's only one team, so Bilbao were also able to get a really good TV deal because they know there's a monopoly on, on that market. Yeah. But they're trying to get a more even spread of the of the TV money and they're using the formula that the Premier League does. Everybody gets, you know, a set um, a set fee and then after that it's based on your performance in the league. Um, with a little, there's, a, there's a little clause in there so that the, the I think it's called the teams of the biggest social capital and um, yes. you can get extra extra percentage points whatever whatever that uh, means because what a load of rubbish. <laughs> it's also i mean do you, you must see this i mean there's some sort of injustice there in a way isn't there it's kind of it's almost inherently built to favor the big guys well there's there's such an injustice there i mean there's um it's built so that the big teams like barcelona and real madrid can still get more money than everyone else but i think mm. those Spanish teams are willing to accept it because they know that it's, that it's an injustice, but it's less of an injustice than they've had before. So it's a step in the right direction. And faced with that or maintaining the status quo, I think they're happy to, to move a little bit closer to, to parity. What, what do you make of this, the status of the Liga then in terms of people always talk about the Liga being the best team in the world? Again, maybe that is because people are looking at the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona who managed to bring in the best players in the world, whereas... We're talking about the Premier League now, which is so it's it's much more even from you know top of the table to to the middle of the table, even further down than that now. So, would you agree that maybe the league is the best league in the world? Obviously, you know the teams lower down better than us, and you're saying the quality is better in some games. Um, it depends what what makes the league the best in the world. In terms of quality of players, it's probably the Premier League. In terms of mm competitiveness because I mean you have Manchester City, Arsenal, they go into any game and they could lose, you know, they could lose to a Bournemouth, they could lose to a Norwich. Um, you go into a Barcelona against an Ibar game, you you know who's gonna win. It's it's not very there's not that element of any team can beat any team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you would have to argue Premier League in that sense is is more is a better league, it's more competitive. Anybody can beat anyone Finally. on the day. Conclusive evidence, guys. <laughs> <It's been proven. laughs> Someone who's been to Spain who says it's better. It makes sense. It just makes sense. What's the? Uh, what would you say is the sort of the difference, maybe tactically, then between the two leagues? Because a lot of people say in the Premier League <laughs> there are no tactics really. No one can defend. It's just counter-attacking football, end-to-end stuff. Whereas the the perception is that the league is a bit more considered. That the coaches have a bit more of a tactical mindset. Well, I think the Premier League is a lot more multicultural and also multi-tactical. I mean, mm. I don't know how many different nationalities you have in the dugouts in the Premier League, but mm. you have tactics coming from all across the continent. That should be a good focus uh, question. Um, but in, in Spain, besides uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, which Barcelona actually do have a Spanish manager at the moment, most teams have a Spanish manager, and they all sort of play a 4-2-3-1 that's been played in Spain for decades. That's been the, the default formation at the national level, that we sort of moved away from that with great success. But teams without the players that the national team have, they're going to stick to this four-two-three-one formation, and it, it does, you know, it, it does become a little bit predictable because most teams are playing the same formation. They sort of uh, count each other out a little bit, and so the tactics are very predictable across the board in La Liga. But in the Premier League, you 
I mean, it really depends where the manager come from, what experience they have. Yeah. How would you describe uh, Ibar's sort of tactical setup? You've got Paco Jimenez, um, you know, Rayo Baracano, that is, you know, a brilliant manager, Fuego de Possession, if that's how you say it correctly. We're yeah, nailing that, that style well, of play. Spanish is perfect. Thanks, yeah. mate. Yeah. You're a great guy, Lawrence. But no, going back to the point is, do a, Ibar have a, a style of play? Do they sort of, apart from this 4-2-3-1, do they press? Do they sit back? Do they sort of counter-attack? What's, what sort of goes on? Well, with the coach this year, Mendilibar, they played a sort of higher line um, than they did last year. So they they concede a lot more goals because they do get caught every now and then when a team does beat the offside trap. Um, but it means that when they win the ball, they win it up so so often in the other team's half. And they've got these pacey players. They've got Keiko on the right and this Japanese uh, player, Inui, on the left. And they're so quick that when they, they win the ball in midfield, it's so clustered there that they just have to play in front of one of those two, they'll burst down the wing with the ball and they create a chance. Last season it was a lot more uh, defensive, they sat a lot further back, uh, won the ball quite far back and then sort of worked their way up the pitch very slowly, very cautiously. This year it's a bit more, um, know they're taking a lot more risks this year and they're the highest scorers in the league besides Barcelona and Real Madrid. In the press conference uh, at the weekend, one of the journalists asked, Mendele Bar, how does that feel to uh, to have scored the most goals, you know, to have scored more than the league leaders Atletico? And he said, he responded to the journalist and said, well, how many have Atletico conceded? And the guy replied and said, eight. And he says, well, yeah, that that's why. So Ibar conceded a lot of goals, they score a lot of goals, but at the moment they seem to be, besides the manager, everyone seems to be happy with that. Where do you think they're going to finish this season? Do you think they're going to achieve the impossible and finish in European places, or is that beyond them? I, w- I would love to see that. I think I, I think the fans deserve a European away day, even if they only get one in their life. And this is mm. probably the best chance ever going to have of it. They would, they would, uh, whatever town they end up in, whether it's in Kazakhstan or Russia or wherever <laughs> they end up, they would have an absolute ball. So I think it'd be fantastic if they get it. I really don't think they will. I think they could finish in the top half, maybe ninth or tenth, but I don't really see them uh, finishing in European places. As hard as that is to say. Still be still be pretty incredible achievement if they oh, of course, yeah. top up. So uh, anyway, listen, Ewan, it's been a pleasure to have you on uh, the front three. If people yeah, want to find out me. more, if people want to find out more about Ibar's story and, and read your book, where can they find it? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon if you type in Ibar the Brave, it comes up. Perfect. Uh, and if people want to find you on Twitter as well, where should they go? Um, yeah, it's at E M C D E A R. Thank you very much for coming on, Ewan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Take care, guys. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.